0: Lord Jesus, we thank you for the reminder of that song, that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and we pray, Lord, we pray for you to to continue to lead and guide us while we are in this earth. But may we also be continually reminded that this earth is not our home, at least not in the shape or in the manner that it currently exists. Lord, and so I pray that our minds will, while we appreciate the blessing of all that you give us in this world. Our minds will be continually drawn towards your presence. Help us to remember that as we open your word today in your name. Amen. I liked how Mark said that. We're grateful for not only prayer, the power of prayer, but the power of action. That's what we're going to look at today a little bit as we continue in our series, our second part of our series on the Lord's Prayer. I've mentioned to you all many times that I love to travel. I talked to you not too many weeks ago about how I love to just get in my car and and go for a drive, and it doesn't matter how far that drive is or where that drive actually takes me. I just enjoy the journey. I enjoy driving. I'm, I'm one that enjoys flying, although gets more complicated it seems as times go as time goes on i enjoy the things that i learn when i travel i enjoy uh oftentimes i'm going places where i'm learning something new and i'm i'm gathering new information and i love that i love the experience and the opportunities that christ gives me as i travel whether to witness or to to meet a, a fellow brother and sister in christ i enjoy seeing new places i love seeing new places. Every single thing, I think, to me, is interesting. We were driving through Wyoming one time, and we came upon this kind of little town that was tucked against this hill, and I said, oh, that's so beautiful, Christina. We could live there. She goes, by yourself, maybe, but not with me. Uh, I was like, but look, there's that cute little church right there. She's like, "Uh, yeah, we're not moving here to Wyoming. Uh, I enjoy seeing new places and and, and discovering the, the new things, but since... I've been married, and since we have three small boys, most of my travel is done with me, myself, and I. It's kind of hard to pack up three small boys and and go someplace. I usually ask Christine, hey, you guys want to go? She goes, are you going to be speaking? Yes. Are you going to be meeting a lot of people? Yes. What am I going to be doing? Oh, that's right, I'll be sitting with the boys. How about I just do that at, at home? So whenever I travel, it's most of the time me, myself, and I and so because of that, there's this tension that, that exists in my, in my heart. Even though I'm doing something I very much love, and even though I'm in a place that I very much enjoy, no matter where it's at, there's this tension that is in me. I love what I'm doing, but I want to be home with my family. I want to be with Christina, and with Dayton, and with Landon, and with little Levi, uh, christine was gone to new york last week and i wanted to let you know that levi and i have turned a corner i've put him to bed twice this week i'm telling you the first three years of his life if mom wasn't home dad did not put levi to bed this week two times amen i mean i'm i'm thrilled about it you know all my other boys i love that that time going to bed with him i I love to be with him, and i can be having the greatest time in the coolest place and something inside of me still feels some sort of tension, some, some form of discombobulation. The older I get and the more kids we have, we're done, by the way, just in case that sounded like, <laughs> I was indicating there might possibly be, be more, that will not happen. But the older I get and the more kids that we have, uh, that tension does not go away, but it grows it increases it just increases more and more when I come home though when I get home suddenly that tension subsides things things feel right again Christina was traveling last weekend and and this morning I just felt like oh this is Sabbath my wife is home now this this just feels right there's a there's a calm in the midst of things We're in the midst of a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. We looked at two weeks ago, we looked at two weeks ago the phrase, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed or holy be thy name. Today we explore the tension of the phrase, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We live in this world, the old song says, This world is not my home, I'm what? Just a passing through. This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. And then later in the song, it says, And I can't feel at home in this what, world, anymore. As Christians, while we live in this world where, where there are many blessings, where there are many wonderful things, even many still pictures of God's beauty and wonder and majesty, while we live in this world, there should still be, no matter how wonderful our, our, our circumstances are, there still should be a tension that exists within each one of us. There should still be something in us that, just doesn't feel quite right. There should be in us that tension that I feel when I travel. That should be the tension that all Christians feel while they travel through life on this earth. The Bible teaches us that the world as it is now is not our ultimate home. Hebrews chapter 11, if you have a Bible, you can turn there with me to Hebrews chapter 11, and I'm reading from the New King James Version also. It's right after all the T's, the, the Timothy's and the Thessalonians and the Titus, all the T brothers, then there's Hebrews. But Hebrews chapter eleven, chapter eleven, and verse verses thirteen through sixteen says, These all died in faith. This is speaking of believers. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland, and truly if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, Egypt, they would have had opportunity to return, but now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them." Just as there is attention in me as I travel, attention that is longing to be home, there should also be attention for all those who are true believers, a longing for our true home, a longing to be in the literal, physical presence of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer that we are to pray, Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. This request is more than a statement of anticipation. It's more than a statement of, hey, we want things on earth here to happen just as you want them to happen. The statement of what should be the, this statement is a statement of what should be the deepest desire of our hearts, that we are truly praying to God, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. The first request that we have of you, God, is that we long to have your kingdom restored and long to be with you. Notice the progression of the prayer. Two weeks ago, we looked at how we should approach our Father in prayer as one who we are intimate with. We address Him as Father. There's, there's an intimacy with that name, that He is our Father. And as our relationship with God grows, we, we understand more completely and more fully the intimacy of this idea of God as our Father. Not being a distant dad or or a foreign father, but, but someone who longs to be close and near to us. Someone that longs to speak to our hearts and to our minds. We then saw that the request, though, is not simply like, hey, dad, or hey, you, but, but, that, but that while he is a father, and while he is an intimate being to us, and, and while we long to be close and connected to him, there is still this measure of, of, of respect and awe and wonder that God deserves. So our Father, which are in heaven, we recognize, God, that your name is holy. We recognize that you are holy, that you are magnificent, that you are wonderful, The first petition in the prayer, in the the Lord's prayer, teaches us that our ultimate focus should be for God's name to be glorified. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our our petition there is, Lord, we want your name to be magnified, your name to be holy, and we want to speak of you and speak uh, to you with that reverence. But even as we pray that prayer... While we can strive for that on this earth, that God's name will be glorified, that that people will truly know the holiness of God's name, we know that ultimately the true glory of God's name, the true glory of, of, of God's character will not be complete until the things of this earth have passed away. We know that as long as this world is the way that it is, that until Jesus comes and sin is eradicated, as long as sin exists in some manner, in some way, in some format, as long as sin resides still in some context within our lives, within our hearts, within our minds, that God's true character can never be fully revealed for the true glory that it deserves. And so while we live glorifying God, we do so in a world that completely disregards God in many ways. While we live to glorify God, we know that as the imperfect vessels that we are and the imperfect people that we are, we know that that there's limitations to how, how, how fully we can demonstrate God's glory and magnificence. And in that, in that reality, There should be a tension in us that calls out, Lord, we want you to be glorified, so please come, Lord Jesus, come. Thy kingdom come. A person that lives, folks, hear what I'm saying. A person that lives with complete ease, complete peace, complete comfort, Complete satisfaction in this world, a person that lives in this way, without any tension, without any thought or focus on Jesus' return, does not truly understand the relationship that Jesus Christ desires to have with them. Someone may take offense to that, but it is what the Bible teaches. Our our text that we just read from the book of Hebrews tells us, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. Why does the scripture say this? Why why does the author write this in Hebrews? God is not ashamed to be called their God. Why? Because Because they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. God says, I'm not ashamed because... Because you know what? You recognize this earth, this world is not truly your home. And there's something else. You see, folk, in chapter 11 of Hebrews, those people that, that the Bible is speaking of in chapter 11 were all folk that were praying, thy kingdom come. They didn't see it in their lifetime, but that was the prayer on their lips. Thy kingdom come. And because of that, God is not ashamed to be called their God. If I were a dad or a husband that was glad to be away from my family... I'm not talking about a five minute break here and there. I'm not talking about where we hide in another room just for a minute to take a deep breath. I'm talking about if I was a dad that said, I just cannot wait to go travel so I can get away from these people, and when I was away, they were never in my mind and never on my thoughts and never in my heart. If I was a dad that wasn't constantly trying to figure out how to do FaceTime, I'm going to Poland. Does anyone know if I can do FaceTime in Poland here in the not too distant future? If I were a dad or a husband that was glad to be away from them and did not have any tension or miss them in my life, I don't believe I'd be much of a dad or a husband at all. For the Christian, for the Adventist, one living anticipation and hope of the second coming that does not have a tension and a longing for the kingdom of heaven, for God's kingdom's Those folk are simply occupying a title and not fulfilling their life calling to be followers of Jesus. Part of our life calling as followers of Jesus is to be a people that that struggle with, that live with this tension of longing for the kingdom of God and looking forward to the kingdom of God with great expectation. You see, we desire for God to be glorified, but as we look at this world, as we look at the things around us, as we look at the the junk in our own lives, we, we see that ultimately God's kingdom cannot be fully glorified and God's kingdom cannot be fully established till Jesus comes again and does away with the sin problem. And God's glory would always be muted until that day comes. And so we pray, thy kingdom come. But we don't just stand over here like these, like these, uh, these, these uh, folk did with, these young people did with Mark. We don't just stand over here and pray, thy kingdom come. We don't just pray, thy, thy kingdom come over here and, and hope that it, that it happens. The Bible says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, the Bible is saying here, or Jesus' prayer here is teaching us that we pray for God's kingdom to come, but then we begin to work and we begin to live as if it is already a reality. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray thy kingdom come and then we live, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now this is something that was spoken of back in the day. Some of you who've been in the in the church for a long time will remember that in almost every service there was the encouragement: "Let us work and hasten the day of the soon coming of the Lord." Let us work. We've gotten away from this from this idea, I think, because we don't like to attribute anything to works. We've become almost scared of the, the word "works" within the the Christian uh, uh, verbiage and vocabulary. You see, your salvation, my salvation, has nothing to do with works. It is. We should move works away from from that aspect of things. The Bible is very clear on this truth. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and verse 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We should always every single one of us, I hope every single one of you memorize that text, and any time you start to think to yourself, man, I'm not good enough for God to save me. I got to work harder. I got to pray harder. I got to study harder. Any time you start to think, man, how can God accept someone like me? I want you all to repeat that text to yourself. We are not saved by our works so that none of us can boast, but we're saved by grace through faith. We're saved by the grace of Jesus through faith, that Jesus gives us access to each one of us. Salvation is not by works. But works is not a bad word because works does influence, the Bible tells us, works does influence the coming of our Lord. The kingdom coming is influenced by your works and by my works. That's what the Bible teaches us. This is biblical. The text that that uh, Elder Baker read, Carla read to us this morning in Second Peter chapter three. I'll, I'll begin in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in, ho- in holy conduct and godliness? Listen to this. Looking for And hastening, that means we have a part looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. We have a part in that. We not only look for we not only pray thy kingdom come and look for it and, and hope for it, but we hasten the day of the coming of the Lord through our works, through our labor. We pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray thy kingdom come. And then we actually participate in that happening. We pray it, we look for it, and then we live to hasten that coming. Is works being done on this earth through us play a part? Because works being done on this earth play a part in the return of our Lord. A natural outflow of desiring for Christ's return is to do the work to hasten that return. You know, there's a a lot of us, when we were younger, that thought to ourselves, I don't want to hasten the Lord's return too quickly because I want to get married first. Anyone ever think that in their mind? Thank you for, Brian, your honesty. Anyone else? Okay, thank you. A few others are getting better at honesty from week to week. Some people think, oh, I don't want you to come just quite so soon because we'd like to have kids. Or There's other things. We... We tend to to think in that range but as, as we grow, as we mature not only in this world, in this life, but as we grow in our relationship and mature in our relationship with God, a natural outflow of desiring Christ's return is to do work then to hasten that return. That should be part of our maturity process. If those of you that have kids, you'll understand this. And those of you that that are, that that, that want to have kids, once you have kids, you will understand this. There's this part of me now that prays with even more fervency. Lord, please come and do so quickly before my kids grow up. Anyone else have that ever? Man, I want my kids to grow up in heaven, and I pray, Lord, come before I do anything to screw them up, please. I have more faith in Jesus than that, don't worry. I don't think it's all up to me. I know that Jesus is working in their lives. But the point is, is, is there's, this, there's this maturing process as we go along, there's this aspect where, where the more we, we begin to, to think about the coming of the Lord, the more our hearts are drawn to work to hasten that return. Well, what are those works that we should be doing? What are those works that we should be doing? The prayer says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The work we do on this earth should mimic what takes place in heaven. It should should represent the things of heaven. The works we do on this earth should represent the works of heaven. So four quick components I want to give to you about what I see as as the things of heaven, the works of heaven. And it all begins with the wonderful word that's so overused, but it still is a wonderful word. It's even more wonderful in the Greek, but it is the word love. Love. Our first work in hastening the return of the Lord should be love. We should be more loving. We should have more love for one another in all things. Love is the character of heaven. Love is the character of heaven. Love is thy dynamic feeling and emotion and sentiment of heaven. If you are a person that thinks, I just don't like all these people that seem to be so loving... You are going to be very disappointed in heaven, and we're going to have to put you in your own little corner. Because the theme, and even then you'll still feel the love of God. The theme of heaven is love. How do we know this? 1 John 4.8, 1 John 4.16 tell us that God is love. You and I can feel love. We can show love, but you and I are not love. You and I on our best days are kind of likable. We are not love. It is not who we are. I can say this about myself. Chad is male. It is an absolute reality about me. It is truly what I am. And no matter what I may say or think, that is what I am. Chad is male. The Bible tells us that God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, God is love. God is love. It is not an attribute of God. It is not an emotion simply that God feels. It is not uh, uh, simply one of his many characteristics, although all those things are true. It literally is what God is. Just as much as I am man, God is love. God is love. And therefore, the work of the kingdom of heaven should represent the one whose nature infiltrates and infills heaven. Love, our, our work, should be a work of love. A work of love. Jesus tells us this in the great commandment. The great commandment found in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. Jesus said to him, you shall love, some remember, you might remember someone asked, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and all the prophets. Jesus right here tells us that the the, the dominating theme that should guide our life in our commandment keeping, in our relation towards God, in our relation towards one another, should be this giant work of Love. God doesn't say get rid of the law, get rid of the prophets, get rid of the commandments. God doesn't say that. He says they are a work of love. Love. We do not work, or maybe the work we do is in vain because it is not a work done in love. There's a lot of people that do a lot of Christian service not in a spirit of love. Let me give you an idea of what this may look like. We wake up Sabbath morning, I have to go to church today. Ugh, those people. And what's with those flowers that everybody's wearing? My goodness. And now there's always people saying hi to me. I used to be able to walk in in anonymity and leave in anonymity. And now there's people trying to, they're opening doors for me. They're holding an umbrella for me. They kind of freak me out when they're right there by my door when I open the car door. We're working on that. Oh, man. I know that I should go and help. I hear there's a thing going on with the homeless. I read about that. The Lord's lunch, the soup kitchen. I know I should go do those things, but, oh. Why? 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 Would they put it on Thursday night? Don't they know that there's Thursday night football? Can't these people be homeless and hungry on another night? Hey, I'm impressed with our men, by the way. Some of our men are getting together and they're doing a, they're just recognizing that you guys are not going to give up Monday night football. And so they're going to do a Bible study before, and hopefully it'll convict all of us to uh, watch a little less football, After we watch, oh wait, I don't know if that's going to work. But we're glad you're doing the Bible study, that creativity. That starts, I think, this Monday, right, Paul? This Monday. So if you want to come here to the church, there's going to be a small group Bible study, men's study. And then uh, they're going to watch some Monday night football. And I don't know if this is a really clever way to watch football and tell their wives, I'm going to serve the Lord or the other. But Paul says it doesn't matter why it's being preached as long as it's being preached. Let's support that. But anyways, off track a little bit. Sorry there. My point is, is if we have that type of attitude, then that may be a sign that we're doing a work that is not in love. Oh, I gotta sing in the choir. Oh, I like to sing, but then I have to sit up there and listen to Chad talk and look at his back the entire time. It might be a work that's not done actually in love. Folks, we need to be a people that, that do things in love. Love should be the driving motivator of our work. And if we really had love in us, if we really had the fullness of God's love in us, the way that God calls us to be, then we would all, I believe 90% of us, 99% of us maybe even, would be working for the Lord a lot more in a lot more loving way. How do I know that? Think of the person that you love most in your life. What would you do to keep them safe? Anything. Why? Why? Is it because you signed a contract Is it because you signed a wedding license? Is it because someone handed you a piece of paper at a county office that said you are the father or the mother of this child that you don't even know where it's at anymore and it's in a drawer somewhere and someday when your kids have to sign up for something, they ask you for your birth certificate, you'll have no idea where it's at? Is that the reason why you would do anything for these people? Or is it because you love them? Jesus tells us this, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. If there is someone in this room, hear this folks, if there's someone in this room that you do not love, there is a lack of evidence of you or I being a disciple of Jesus Christ. A hard word, but that is what the Bible tells us. If you have love one for another. It doesn't say love for almost everybody except for that really weird guy that I don't like to talk to and always talks too close to me. The pastor. (laughs) We may not like everything someone does. We may not even like everyone. But there should not be one person that we do not have love for. Christian, brotherly, and sisterly love. Y'all, we have to work on our love. So, the first work that must be done in, in hastening the coming of the Lord is that we need to be a church that is more loving. We need to be a people that are more loving, which leads us into our second area of work Thy will be done in obedience. God calls us to be obedient, He calls us to be law keepers. If you love me, the Bible says, keep my commandments. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and keep or uh, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. John chapter 5 verses 2 and 3. This is love that we walk according to his commandments. 2nd John chapter 1 and verse 6. All these verses talk to us about the evidence of love is then a work that's done in Obedience. Look again in our second Peter text from earlier with some added verses around it. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of our Lord. Therefore, verse 14, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these, these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. Now I can't make myself without spot or blameless, but God can do that work in me and then I can participate I can I can allow him to work through me and do the works of obedience. We are called to be holy in our conduct and godliness. Holy means to be set apart. We are called to be set apart, folks. We're called to be different. In other words, our conduct is not to be like that of the world. It is to look different. To use an old term that many of you probably got sick of hearing back in the day, but I never heard it as a kid, and so I think it's a cool word. I heard it just in the last few years. We are to be a peculiar people, and not peculiar like odd duck. Peculiar has gotten a bad rap because it has come to symbolize a weirdo, and for some it's has come to symbolize some sort of legalism. But to be peculiar in the sense I am talking about is to look, act, live, do things differently than the world does them. That should make sense to us. We are, in other words, to be obedient to God, even if it means rejecting some of the things that we like in this world. We are to be peculiar if it means obedience rather than what is generally accepted or as, as common practice within our world. You know, when I was a kid, my parents raised me in some very, uh, we were nominal advocates, and yet in some ways, they raised me, my sisters and I, to be very peculiar. And as a kid, I really disliked it. I really was frustrated with it sometimes. They probably could have done a better job of explaining it. But looking back now as an adult, I'm glad I learned some of those peculiar ways I'm glad that my parents had a peculiarity to them and that, and that, that they, they passed that on as well. We are to be different than the world. Our work, our first work is to love. Our second work is to be different from the world, to live, to act, to talk, to think differently than the world thinks about things. We don't say, well, I have this view in church and then I go into my workplace and I do it by the way that the world kind of dictates. Or I, you know, I would never do this, but you know what? This politician I really like, and so I'm gonna have my politics in this box, but my my world, my my God is in this box. We we don't want to do things like the world in any way. We want to be peculiar in all ways. We are to work in love, we are to work in obedience, and we are to work. Through intercession, in interception. The scriptures tell us this. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groaning which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. In heaven, one of the works that is being done in heaven right now on your behalf and on my behalf is that, is that Christ is our intercessor. He intercedes on our behalf. This is, this is part of the work that he is doing in heaven on behalf of us. And we are to do the things on earth that are being done in heaven. And so we should be people of intercession When we intercede through prayer for one another, for others in this world, in many ways, in many real and tangible ways, we are standing in their place before God. Do you know there are those that do not pray? There are those that, that cannot pray because they truly either they don't know or they don't understand. They don't know or they don't understand. When I, from about the years of probably 13 years old until I was 18 years old, I could not pray because I truly believed that if I prayed, it would be so, such a lie, such a hypocrisy that I didn't want to be dishonest with myself or with with anybody else. And so I would not pray from about the ages of 13 till after I was 18 years old. But I praise the Lord that for those five years that I did not bow my knee or open my mouth to speak to God, I praise the Lord that there were other people interceding on my behalf. After I accepted Christ, I found out that there was a group of moms of Wednesday mornings at the local church that were praying specifically for me by name. My joke always is I was. they were praying God change them or keep them away from our daughters. That's what they were, <laughs> that's what they were praying. I praise the Lord that my grandma w- was praying for me. That when she caught me, smoking almost burning down a golf course at the age of 13 that that, that she didn't yell at me that she didn't scream at me but, but she prayed for me i praise the lord for my for my family that was praying for me for my for my mom that though 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 my dad probably wasn't as much at that time that I, my mom was still a person of prayer i praise the lord for these people there's people that cannot pray whether they don't know it or they don't feel like they can pray they don't feel like they're worthy to pray or whatever it is. Folks, someone needs to pray for those people and that someone should be us. Jesus intercedes on our behalf. Shouldn't we then be interceding on behalf of mankind in our prayers? We cannot save anyone, anyone but we can work through our, through our prayers on their behalf for their salvation through Christ We, the church, should be in the last days doing the will of God on this earth by being much in the work of intercession. You know, we have a group that sometimes meets Sabbath mornings uh, during first service, some to pray. It'd be great if people took time to pray for that. We have other times that that people are interceding. I've talked to Julia, uh, uh, Juliana, sorry, Juliana about you know, we should have prayer groups running through our services. And we mention this to some people, and, and sometimes there's that pushback. You know what? I, I don't want to miss a sermon. If you're already saved and you're already in a relationship with Jesus, missing a sermon once in a while, it's why we all give you permission to go to the lake every now and then or all summer long, as some of you choose to do. It's good to see some of you back this week. God bless you. It's not going to hurt you to miss now and again, especially if you're praying for intercession on behalf of some people. There was a couple that I was working with a long time ago. There was a couple I was working with, and we had we had uh, been studying together and laboring together and going back and forth, and and God had convicted their hearts that that they wanted to accept Him and they wanted to to make a stand for Him, and 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 we were discussing baptism, and and there was just something in their minds that was impeding this this willingness to be baptized. And we talk about things, they were ready, they, they were ready, they, they, they loved Jesus, and they, they, but there was just something and I couldn't get to it. What is it, God, that's, that's blocking them from making that last step of faith into baptism? What is it that's doing that? And I would pray about it and pray about it and pray about it. One Sabbath, I was preaching on, on baptism, and Jim and Peggy always sat about the third row back, on my uh, left side from where i from where i preached and i was praying we were preaching on baptism and i pulled some of my prayer warriors aside and i said kristen kristen was the leader of them i said get some of your prayer warriors and i want you guys to go and throughout this service i want you to pray for jim and peggy just pray for them pray for god to, to speak through their hearts to convict them pray God to do something I didn't tell Jim and Peggy that I asked anybody to pray for them I didn't say anything to Jim and Peggy when I saw him I was like hey it's good to see you I'm so glad you're here love you guys gave him a hug same as always from weekend to week out but man I had this group of people they were in another room somewhere in the church and they were praying for God's blessing on that service and praying for Jim and Peggy specifically following the service we did a baptism we did sometimes we did baptisms after the preaching so we would do the baptism at the very end because baptism is a joyous celebration. That's a great way to leave church, man. Have a joyous celebration baptism and then, and then march on out to singing, it was great. So we, so we would have the baptism at the end. I was baptizing five or six or so people that day, other folk, and these folk were being prayed for. They, they told me, you know, we're not ready. We'll talk to you in a few weeks and that was how we had left it. I'm in the baptistry and I'm coming to the end of some of the folk that there that I was supposed to baptize and I look to my left, and there are Jim and Peggy in their full Sabbath best, which was jeans and a button-up shirt, praise Jesus. And do you know how hard it is to get in water and jeans? Uh, it's not the most comfortable thing. But, man, they just climbed right in there, no robes, no, and we baptized them right there. They were ready to be baptized. I don't think it was because of anything other than the fact that we had a group of people who said, yeah, I'll miss a service so I can intercede on behalf of these two people. Folks, we need to be in intercession for our neighbors, for our friends, for for strangers. We need to be a people of intercession. Our work that we must do, we must be a a people that work more in love. We must be a people that that, that work through our obedience by being different than the world and setting an example and and looking different and living different. We must be a people that, that are interceding on behalf of the world and the people in the world. Love, obey, intercede. And finally, we must be a people that are willing to share the message. This is very plain in Scripture. Jesus said this, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Those are Jesus' words from Matthew chapter 22. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. People have seen that word preach and they said, Well, we'll leave it up to the preachers then, but that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about being a witness. Each of us has a work to do in sharing the good news of Jesus with others. And each of us has a work to do in sharing the truth of the scriptures with others. It's not all our work, nor is it all the work of the evangelist or the preacher. It is a collective work that we share. And we read that, and we says it says, go to all the nations, and we're here in the U.S., and everybody knows about Jesus. No, they don't. And even if they do know about Jesus, the Jesus that much of the world has portrayed is not a Jesus that I want to be in association with. So we wanna give people the right picture of Jesus, the loving, the kind, the gracious, the compassionate picture of Jesus. Jesus said when this message goes everywhere, then the end will come. And everywhere includes the person living immediately next to you, immediately across the street. It includes the person that's over your back fence, that's too loud, that you wish they would just stop having late night parties and be quiet and go to bed. It includes the person that has so many cars in their front yard and you think, why do you make my neighborhood look like this? It includes those people too. It includes everybody. It includes all the people, Brian, that are mad at us for using their neighborhoods to flip you. coming out of S.A. Spencerville parking lot. So we should go and love on them especially and witness to them. We should never assume that people know you know, I sent out a message in our Pastor's Pros. If you don't get the Pastor's Pros, you can write your email address on the connection card and we will get that to you. We'll just write Pastor's Pros. Some of you probably get it, but if you have Gmail, it goes into your promotions folder, so you may wanna go look at that. But I sent out a message about how uh, we're asking people to host an evangelistic event in October leading up to our meetings in November in their own homes for their neighbors. We'll provide the materials, we'll provide the resources, but we'd love for you to just go to your neighbors and say, hey, will you come and do this? If you have internet or, or, or help TV or whatever it is, you can, you can host that. Already a couple people have, uh, have mentioned that. One person said, I live so far away, what, I don't know if I can get them to church. I said, maybe we just need to start a satellite church right up there by your house. And, or maybe even in their house. I didn't tell them that part, but maybe that's the case. Um, whatever it is, we can do the work. If you're interested in that, we'd love to have you uh, indicate that to us. We pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So let us work for that reality. Let us work as if that truly is the deepest tension within our lives, that this world is not our home and we're just passing through. And we don't feel at home anymore here. And so we need, we desire to hasten the coming of the Lord through our love, through our obedience, through our intercession, and by sharing the good news of Jesus. Will you pull out your connection cards really quickly with me? I wanna invite you to respond. Then I'll sit down, we'll sing a beautiful song, and then we can go home and eat. The sermon today was clear. On the back of your card it says right there, the sermon today was clear. And by the way, I wanna say this. There may be someone in here that says, you know what, I'm one of those people that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. I hear you talking about, hey, this is the work, we've got to do this work, but I, I don't even have that relationship with Jesus. If that's you today, we want to be there for you as you make that decision for Jesus, and you can do that right now. Wherever you're at, you can just check that box I'm interested in, beginning a relationship with Jesus. You can indicate that right there. Maybe you've never made that step of faith in baptism and you need to be baptized. You can check that box, and we will connect with you, or if you're interested in Bible studies, learning more. You know, I'm hearing all this stuff about this Jesus, but who is this? You can check that box, receiving baptismal Bible studies. We'd love to connect with you. But the sermon today was clear. I will pray. I will make this a part of my prayer life. Let's make a commitment today to make this a part of our prayer life. Lord Jesus, please, we desire for your kingdom to come. There's a tension in us. And then let us make a commitment as well, that we will work through our love, through our obedience, through our peculiarity, through our intercession, and through our sharing, to work for the reality of Jesus's soon coming. Jesus is coming. Our desire should be and our prayer should be, come Lord Jesus. There is a tension in us. We pray thy kingdom come. Let the tensions be so great in us that we are spurred on to work to do the work on this earth that is being done on our behalf in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. We long for that day when you come. We rejoice, we look forward to that day, and now as we sing about that day, as we think of that moment, may it further ramp up the tension in us, and may it spur us on to be more loving, to be more obedient, to intercede more, and to share more of your good news with others. In your name we pray, amen.